I say, amazing. Yeah? Yeah. Let's go meet the press. You know the drill. He's at my hat, Captain Amazing. Herman, give me a flag. Hey, how are you tonight? Captain, how did you know where to find the red eyes? Becky, it's what I do. Thanks to you, the city's almost crime-free, so what do you do with your free time? I wish that I had some free time. People are saying that you're so amazing. You're going to put yourself out of a job. Have any comments on that? That's one problem I look forward to. And um, is it true that you lost your Pepsi endorsement? I hadn't heard that. Thanks so much for your questions. Thank all of you so much. Sure, Captain. You have no comments regarding your Pepsi situation. I'm doing my best. Oh, your best. Uh, quick question. Is this your best? Okay, I realize you're upset. Victor, I'm positioned. Okay, do you understand what that means on a very personal level here? To know that the companies that make these fine products want me to be their spokesperson? Their voice? I think right now we should focus on the positive. Tonight was good. Yeah? You think so? Because I was worried it was... Um... Pathetic! Amazing triumphs in a nursing home. That's great copy, Vic. Look, I'm a publicist, not a magician. You want big news, you have to have big fights. A superhero needs a supervillain, and thanks to you, we've got none left. Then get the... the death Man. Death Man is dead. Okay, Father Doom. Life without parole. Apocalypto's doing 50 years, Armageddon's in exile, Baron Von Chaos got the chair... Really? Casanova Frankenstein is locked up in a nut house. Casanova Frankenstein. Now there was a supervillain. You know, he just... He's got those eyes, you know. So I can't do it, but... That voice, such pure evil. The battles we used to have, extraordinary. Used to. That's the problem, Captain. Used to. Captain Amazing, a hero. I'm not so sure. I mean, we got to look. We saw that heroic act, right? The thing that caught our eye. But we got to see him when he knew or didn't know that we were looking. And we got to hear the words to his publicist about what was important to him. We saw that it was not the people, but more about him. Well, this is the third week in a series called Heroes. And we've been looking at people in the Bible as we explore the notion of what everyone could be. And it was clear that the mother of Moses, Jochebed, was all she could be because of that great faith when she placed Moses into that basket and entrusted him to God. And then last week, we looked at David as well as Benaiah. And we saw that they were all they could be because they embraced the past experiences that God had given them and how they chased down their fears and that they were all that they could be. Unlike today's story, we're going to look at the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah, there's so many miraculous events in the book of Jonah that we can fail to miss the point that God has for us there. You may remember that uh, the big fish swallowed up Jonah and then spit him out. Or maybe you remember the plant that provided shade 
only to be taken away. Well, there are a few key points in the book of Jonah, some key points for Jonah as well as us, and we're going to go through those today. The book of Jonah ends so abruptly, it comes to a screeching halt, and I wish that God had provided a chapter 5, which was the reflections of Jonah as he looked back on everything that he learned. But I realize that's not necessary. Psalm 33:11 tells us that the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, and the purposes of his heart throughout all generations. And the things that we read in Jonah are reiterated from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I do think if Jonah could sit here with us today, he would say, folks, don't make me out to be any hero with respect to Nineveh. God was teaching me a lesson all along the way. He taught me some stuff about myself and a lot about him. And he would say here today, just let me tell you, give you some lessons from a man who ran. And that's what we're going to do today is look at that. Jonah was a prophet, and a prophet was a spokesman for God. They would go around and foretell the future. Sometimes it was the distant future, like the coming of Christ. But that was rare. Many times they were going around to the surrounding nations or to their own nation and telling them what was about to happen, the immediate future. So for Jonah, he's a prophet. Let's look to see what his assignment is. Chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, Jonah wasn't asked to go speak to his nation, the one that he's comfortable with. He was asked to go speak to a foreign nation called Nineveh, who was the enemy. They were part of the Assyrian Empire which was going around and brutally taking over lands. So you can almost imagine Jonah's reaction. Check out verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. He was on the run. If you look at a map, Tarshish is west. Nineveh is completely east. He is heading in the opposite direction that God is calling him to. And part of this story makes me smile, not because of his disobedience, but because I can relate to what Jonah is doing here. It seems so ordinary. He's on the run. For me, it's like when I watch a professional golfer. I do a little bit of golfing. When I watch them and they put their drive into the woods Or when they get around the green and they scull it over the green. I can relate. Part of me goes, ah, I can feel your pain. And here, I can feel the pain of Jonah. I can relate to what he's doing. I can almost imagine his line of thinking. He's going, God, I know it's right. I mean, this is a godly thing that you're calling me to do. But why do I have to do that? My peers don't have to do it. They're going to the nation that I'm familiar with. Why couldn't I have gotten that assignment? And so he was angry, and maybe he was scared, and he's on the run. Can you relate to him? Has God put something on your heart? Maybe it's not something out of the ordinary. It's just something that's uncomfortable for you, and you know it's right. You know it's a godly thing, and you're saying, why me? Jonah would stop us right here and say the first lesson that I learned is that a true hero would turn toward God 
and not away. I mean, Jonah was on the run. I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, did he think that he could find a spot where God would no longer see him? Or did he think that God would just get somebody else to take this assignment? But if we read Psalm 139.7, we see this is not the case. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Now, you may be going through a difficult time, and you may be on the run. But you can take confidence, and you can take comfort in the fact that God knows exactly where you are and what you need. But if we're running We will fail to see his provision, his support, and his comfort. Jonah did. He was running. But God did not give up on him. If you read the story, he sent a great wind. He made the storms rough. And it got the sailors to a point that they were so scared, they said, What have you done? In verse 10, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon me. And what hit my heart here that made it weigh heavy is the whole time, from the time he ran and bought that ticket and that whole time on that ship, he knew that he was the problem. And when I know that I'm disobeying, it weighs heavy on me. It's all I can think about. And it steals brain cycles away from God and away from others. And that's what was happening to him here. So not only does turning away blind us from God's provision, but it also can distort our view of things. Jonah, his thinking was messed up at this point. It was whacked. He was here in the ship, and he was totally oblivious that his actions were affecting others. And in the throes of this, where was he? He was in the basement of the ship wishing that he was dead. Are you finding the same thing with your own run? Have you even looked around to see if people are crying out, why is this happening to me? I don't get it. But inside, you know that you're part of the problem and it's weighing you down? That's what Jonah felt here. And Jonah took some lessons and he would say, stop, stop where you are and turn toward God. And he did that. A big step in that direction was when he told the sailors, I'm the cause. It's me. And they threw him overboard. So life did not get rosy once he said, it's me. He got swallowed up by that great fish, and now he found himself in a point where he could no longer run. He was forced to consider things. And if you have time at some point, read chapter 2. It is a, what's called a Thanksgiving psalm, and it has structure to it, and it's a journey through the misery that he encountered all the way to his rescue. And there... He prayed a specific thing. Check out verse 7. He says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. The words, I remembered you, 
And then in verse 4, he said, yet I will look again towards you. When Jonah could look back, he saw that God was in control the whole time. And God, despite Jonah's rebellion, his plans were not thwarted because of that. That's what Proverbs 19.21 tells us. And Jonah had gratitude for God's mercy at this very moment. And he would tell us, stop your running. Make this a defining moment in your life, a day that you accepted God's rescue. He vowed in chapter 2, he says, he turned and then he said, I will fulfill my vow. I will go do what you told me to. So in chapter 3, we see him go and deliver the message to the Ninevites. And what's the response? Verse 5 says, the Ninevites believed. And then in 10, it says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. There is the heroic act in the whole book of Jonah, where God reached out to hurting people, and they believed, they followed, and they were changed as a result of that. And Jonah would stop us right now and say, the second lesson that I learned is that a true hero would put others first. Now, he would say that because he realized when he set his eyes on God, and when he considered those around him, he realized that people saw God through him. And people are going to see God through you. The sailors saw God through him. The Ninevites saw God through him. Now, some of you may say, well, Rob, you didn't read the book of Nahum. 100 years later, they get destroyed. Yeah, but 100 years earlier, people were changed. And even if there was one of them, God would have still sent Jonah to Nineveh. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. People will find God through you. And our prayer ought to be that we put others first and that they see God and not us. If the Ninevites could have seen Jonah's heart, they would have thought twice. Because if you read right after they believed and changed, look at chapter 4, verse 1. What was Jonah's response to their belief? But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is it not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And we might sit in shock and go, man, he just does not get it. I mean, didn't he see what God did for him? And now he's saying, you're slow to anger and you're compassionate. But I'm not so sure that we're different than Jonah. Has there ever been a time somebody has hurt you? that you never forgave them and you acted differently because of it? Or has somebody ever come into your circumstance, God put them there, and you look and you said, whoa, what a mess. I'm not getting involved with that. Many times we fail to engage in the opportunities that God puts before us because we kind of screen them out. We say, ah, we're not going to do that. We don't judge it worthy. And that's the position that Jonah found himself in. Instead of staying and celebrating with the Ninevites for their belief and their changed ways, 
What does Jonah go do? If you read, it, it says he left, he went out to the desert, looked back there, and was hoping for their destruction. This is a familiar spot for him, and we can learn from him. We need to, when we get in our circumstances, we need to say, have I been here before? What did I do last time? How can I find God in this? And how can I help others see God? Jonah didn't do that at all, and God had to teach him another lesson. So out there in the desert, Scripture says he's sweating and angry. So God provides a plant, provides shade for him, and says he's pleased. Then God sends a worm, eats the plant, and now he gets hot again, and he's angry. He's complaining that plant's gone, and the Ninevites are not destroyed yet. His views distorted once again. Check out God's reply. In chapter 4, verse 9, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And the book ends right there, comes to a screeching halt. And this is where Jonah would say my third lesson that I want to pass along is that God's compassion and his mercy are for all. God doesn't tell us, find it in your heart to love somebody and then go. He says, go because I love them. That's the message of the cross, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Instead, Jonah is selfish and he cares more about himself and things than people. And do you find yourself attached so tightly to something that it's taking precedence over people? Have you let unforgiveness stop you from praying for a specific individual or Have you ever set out to be known at work and that became the the most important thing, but yet you left your spouse and your family wishing that they knew you or that you're set out to be recognized? You want the attention, but you fail to look around you to see the hurt that you've caused in the process of doing that? There are a lot of hurting people and God's heart breaks for every one of them. God's not calling you to Nineveh or Moab, but he is calling you to be a messenger to the world around you, to your friends, to your neighbor, to your family. And one thing I admire about Jonah is he is completely honest. He's upfront. He expresses himself. If you look at the conversation when he was in the boat, when he was in the great fish, and then when he's out there in the desert, he is very upfront with God. And are you being upfront with God today? I don't know in this story what you can relate to. Maybe it's the sailors and you're wondering why things are happening to you and you're trying to figure them out. Or maybe you feel more like the Ninevites where you know that your ways have not been right and you want to turn from them. Or maybe you feel like Jonah where God's calling you to do something right. You know it's right but you don't want to go there and you're on the run. I would challenge you this morning to be honest with God. One of the ways to do that, we've got theater too. People are there to talk and to pray with you about whatever you're wrestling with. 
but take steps to turn toward God. Now, you may be looking toward him, but you're struggling. In your heart, you're struggling to put the others first. Maybe it's even a specific person that you're struggling with. And I would say bring it to God. Because if you don't, it will rob you of your joy and you will be a miserable messenger. Psalm 139 says that he knows your heart and everything about you. And so you may say, well, why do I have to bring it to him? Because in the process of bringing it to him, he does something with this right here. He does something with your heart. And he gets it to a point where you can be used by him. And my prayer for us all this morning is that we personally experience his compassion and his mercy. And may it drive us to take that message out to the world around you. To people only you can give it to because God has equipped you to do that and only you. So go, be his hands, be his voice, and be his feet.